partake of the deed of our heart is that gift from you, Lord. We pray, we know we can't earn or gain uh, your favor, but that you love us unconditionally. But Lord, we pray that as we live out our life obediently to you, that in some way it would be a blessing and a gift back to you, Father. Uh, Lord, thank you for each one in this room. I thank you and praise you for the good news of the, from George and, uh, Lord, how you have uh, blessed him and healed his body. And, Father, we praise you for that. And, Lord, there are uh, maybe others in this room that are facing that uh, similar challenge. I pray for your hand of healing and blessing to be with them, Lord, as well. Father, for every need that uh, is in this room, we ask that you meet it. And we thank you that you are already moving and working to meet every need. And, Lord, we praise you for how you move in our lives, how you work in and through us, and how you uh, care for us. Father, we thank you for our time together. I pray you bless Warren, speak through him, open our hearts, our ears, our minds to receive uh, the words that you have for us through Warren tonight. And, Lord, we pray for all the uh, studies, events, activities that are going on on campus right now and this evening that you would just so bless and anoint each uh, group, each study, each rehearsal, uh, every activity, Lord, that's going on. We praise you and thank you for the privilege of getting together in the middle of the week to gain encouragement from one another, from your word, and from the presence of the Holy Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, Warren Samuels, ladies you, and gentlemen. You, you, you may have said this, and I was talking and didn't hear. Did you mention again when the Christmas boxes, the little kids' boxes are due? And I, I, I heard. I didn't. I didn't, Warren. I but think it's due, I, they're due November You said the, the 17th. 17th. November yes. November 17th. Okay. Y'all all know what he's talking about under that? Operation uh, Christmas, Christmas Child, Child Boxes. Thank uh, you, Warren. No, no, no. I, I wanted to ask because my wife asked me today and I had no clue. And um, because she wants to, she's going to take our grandkids. That's kind of a big deal for them every year. She takes them and they go to the mall and she explains the concept of what these boxes are used for. It's a great teaching moment. So if you've got uh, grandchildren, some of you in here have probably great-grandchildren that are old enough that would really benefit from a little time with you uh, for a day. I tell people an hour with my grandchildren energizes me. Any longer than that, I start to feel my age. So you just take them out for an hour and get them some ice cream and go home and It'll be awesome. That's a joy to be here tonight, and I know some of you were not here last week. How many of you have in front of you uh, this handout? Okay. Now, let me say this. I, Joe made me um, to be reminded of something. I'm not really good with a blank filling. I, I, I did this outline. There is a typo on here. I'm already telling you, so you don't need to come and tell me. Yes, I know there's a typo. Um, but so if you're a person that every blank has to be filled in or you're freaked out, okay, just come see me afterwards and I'll be more than happy to fill in the blanks. I'll try to do a better job than I did last week. I know, Joe, I stunk when it come, came to, comes to filling in blanks. So what I thought we would do, uh, we would take a few minutes tonight and sort of review what we talked about last week. So how many of you were here last week? I see your hand. Okay, a good number of you were. So somebody just tell me what is one of the things last week that you learned. George. What? Yeah, the whole idea of cruise ship battleship. That really resonated with a number of people. That the church ha is either one of two things. It's a 
cruise ship designed for pleasure or it's a boat designed for war. So that's good. All right, somebody else. Anything else stick out last week? If you have to look at your notes, that's fine. Anything last week that you feel like jumped out? Yes, sir. Yes, we're living in the kingdom of God. And as I said last week, a lot of people don't understand what that is. My little sister who grew up in a very, very uh, conservative Baptist church all of her life, she and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, and I said, do you know what the kingdom is? I wasn't trying to embarrass her, but I just said, do you know? And she said, no, not really. She said, I've never heard a sermon preached on the kingdom of God. And I hadn't either, and I certainly have not ever been or heard of a series on the kingdom. That's why I really felt like God wanted me to do this. So thank you. Anything else jumps out on the kingdom? Yes. Yes, absolutely. On the cruise ship, battleship, we're here for fun. We're here on mission. Yes, sir. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to talk about that more. Man, I, I love the fact you remember that. Absolutely. That's great. Anything else? Jump out? Yes, ma'am. Yes. All right, did you hear that? Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that tonight, but the Jewish people, all the Old Testament prophets, believed in the coming Messiah. We all know that. But they believed it was a one coming. They did not believe that it was twice. And so his first coming was, just as you said, to destroy the power of the three greatest enemies of humanity. What are the three greatest enemies of humanity? What's one? Yeah. Satan's one. Death is two. Sin, we could say the world is number three. All right? And so understand that Jesus came to destroy the power of the enemy. His second coming will be to destroy the works of the enemy. So we are living today in what is called the church age or the kingdom age, which is the age of mercy. So that's what we have. So I'm glad that uh, you all remembered uh, some of these things. So what I wanted to do tonight is to talk just a little bit more about this whole idea. And I was surprised nobody said this. Remember when we talked about the fact that there are only, there's only one kingdom? Uh, some people think that there's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of dark. There's a kingdom of light and a what of darkness? Now, remember, there is a kingdom of light and there is a blank of darkness. Yes, there is a domain of darkness. What does the word domain mean? It means strength. It also means authority. I didn't try to explain it. I tried to illustrate it. And I illustrate it by the fact that Absalom, when he began to rebel against his father's kingdom, that group of men that supported him in the overthrow of the kingdom, they were a domain. They had strength. They had their own authority. And they, by guerrilla warfare, were constantly attacking the kingdom of David. That, on a smaller scale, is what the, king, the domain of darkness does. It's a smaller kingdom than the kingdom of light, but it still has power. It still has strength. It submits to its own authority, but it is constantly attacking the body of Christ. So if you think you're going to wake up one day and that goes away, then you'll be dead. You'll be dead because it will happen until we're going to experience that warfare up until the day that we die. So please understand that's a constant attack by the enemy. So 
I wanted to throw that out because a lot of people misunderstand that. This week, I want to take a look at the mandate for the kingdom, the mandate for the kingdom. Right? Somebody, if you would, get your Bibles out and turn with me to Matthew 24, 14. If you don't have this memorized, you need to have this memorized. If this is not a part of your life, a, a part of your daily prayer life, if this is not what your life in some way is focused on, I'm telling you, you're not praying kingdom prayers. Because Matthew 24, 14 is the key passage, I believe, when it comes to the advancement of the kingdom. Somebody read it for me. Yes. Okay, very good. So Jesus is talking about the mission of the kingdom. So what would you say is the mission of the kingdom? I want you to look at it. What is the mission of the kingdom? To where? To all nations, all tongues, all tribes. Now, there may be some discrepancy as to what the word world means. It is the word ethnos where we get our word ethnic. Okay? Do you want, did you know that, um, let's take India, for instance. Did you know in India right now that there are 2,100 different people groups? 2,100 people groups, ethnoses, in India all by itself. So there may be some discrepancies to what the people are or the world is, but you understand that God is telling us something. Now, I'm going to submit to you Pay real close attention. I'm going to submit to you that when, when Jesus made that statement, he is not forecasting what the Father is doing. He is backcasting what the Father is doing. Do you hear what I just said? Jesus is not forecasting this. He's backcasting this. What in the world does that mean? It means that, don't miss it, everything that God is doing today is with that end in mind. You got it? It's very important. He's not forecasting. He's backcasting. Everything God's doing today is with that end in mind. So if that is God's end and the church is a baby kingdom life center, remember we said last week that Jesus mentions the church really one time. And he says three things about her. He said, number one, I'm going to build her. And second of all, he says, hell's not going to overcome her. And I'm going to give her the keys to the mystery of the kingdom. The only organization given the keys to the mystery of the kingdom is the local church. So the church has to understand that she is a part of something much bigger than herself. Does that make sense? And if she is going to be what God calls her to be, she has to be focused on what God is focused on. So if Matthew 24, 14 is God backcasting, meaning God is keeping that in mind and everything he's doing, why should the church be any different today? And yet, stop and think about that. You stop and think about that. Is that us? Is everything that Hunter's Glen doing with Matthew 24, 14 in mind? Is everything that you're a part of with Matthew 24, 14 in mind? So, I, I, all I wanted you to do was to understand that there is a mandate, and it is the clearest of the mandate. So, let's move to the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom. Remember, I said that God triumphed over three enemies 
its power in the first coming. What was the first one? What was the first power? Satan, number two. Death, number three. Yeah, our, our own sin. So in his first coming, that is what he came to destroy. Now, the message of the kingdom is simply this, that God is announcing what he is up to. He is announcing what he is in the business of doing. In fact, I think it's even more than an announcement. It is indeed what I would consider a promise of what God says I will do until all human beings are reconciled under the feet of my son. You heard me say last week that uh, the Jews really believed that the Messiah was going to come one time and usher in vengeance. They believed that. And it's not that they were all wrong, it's just that they didn't have complete revelation. The Messiah will come in vengeance, but that's in the second coming, not in the first. And that is the message that the kingdom is attempting uh, to help us understand. So there's the message. I also want you to look at the mission. So in looking at Matthew 24, 14, what would you say in Matthew 24, 14 is the condition of Christ's second coming? So look at it. Matthew 24, 14, there is a condition. What is that condition? Yes, yes. To take the gospel so that every single nation, tongue, and tribe has an opportunity to respond to the gospel. You do understand that sitting around the throne of God, John saw every nation, tongue, and tribe. Have you ever stopped to think, well, how did they get there? How'd they get there? Unless someone left their home to take the gospel to them. I just want you to let that sink in for a minute. So much of the time, when we think of world evangelization, most of the time we're thinking about someone other than ourselves. Now, I realize that a lot of you in this room don't have the strength and the abilities to do the things you used to do, but do we believe that that should stop us from doing, at least as a part of our lives, what God has commanded us to do? Let that sink in just for a minute. So, it would seem to me when I read this that world evangelization is the explicit condition of his return. In other words, that God today is holding history open for the church to complete her task. But I want you to hear me very clearly, folks. You do understand that God is going to accomplish this task. And he's going to accomplish this task with this church or he will accomplish this church, this task apart from this church. You do understand that. It's not like God's in heaven wringing his hands and he goes, hey, you know what, I hope Hunter's Glen one day gets this. I hope this church down the street, it, they get a hold of this. God is going to complete this. Here's what we get to choose. We get to choose as a church whether or not we're going to join God in his work or whether or not God potentially jumps over us and moves to the church down the street to accomplish his work. And guess what? It could be with the, the, the Methodist church up here just up the street on, on Custer Road. It could. Yeah. 
God gets to decide the church that he is going to use. And so I believe as a church, we have to, re- we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to join God in what God's doing, or are we willing for God to say, I'm going to take my hand off of them, I'm going to give it to somebody else? It's very scary. You do understand that just because a church exists today doesn't mean that church will exist tomorrow. Well, what about that whole kingdom thing? That the, I get that, but our ability to choose at times can override God's ability to plan. I have no doubt that our greatest days still lay ahead for us if we're willing to accept the responsibility we have. And a part of that responsibility is reaching nations as well as the nations that live all around us. Now, I've had people ask me all my life because I've been involved except in the last couple of years when we've been working in L.A., I've had people say, well, why do, you, why do you think it's so important to take the gospel to other nations when there's so many people in the U.S. that still need the gospel? Anybody ever heard that before? Something like that? And I just say, well, you know what? I don't get to make that call. God's the one that commanded that. And so I have to choose whether or not I'm willing to be obedient to that. Does that make sense? I just wonder if you took Matthew 24, 14 and you cut it out of most people's Bible, if it would change anything they did in that church. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that for many churches, it wouldn't. So the, the mission is, is world evangelism. So I want to move to what I just considered is the prayer of the kingdom, because I think this one also is extremely important um, for us to understand. So the essence of intercessory prayer, as taught by Jesus, is to argue something in a court of law. There are many passages that deal with this conflict, this struggle, this argument. And so think about intercessory prayer as an argument going on in a courtroom. That's what intercessory prayer is. Intercessory prayer is not giving in to evil. Under prayer of the kingdom, prayer is not giving in to evil, but rather it is fighting evil on our knees. So tell me something. Why, when churches say we're going to gather together to pray, do so few people show up to pray? Somebody just throw out a reason. So when a church gathers to pray, yeah, right? Yeah, why? But do you know why? Okay. Okay. Okay, maybe lack of faith. What else? Yes, very possibly. It's just real quiet in here. I I want you to stop and think about it. Why is it that when a church announces we're going to gather for the purpose of prayer, there are so few people who attend? Okay, it's uncomfortable. What? Maybe preoccupied. Okay, maybe you're on to something. Maybe they just don't really see the importance of it. Do you think some people go, well, God's going to do what God wants to do, so it doesn't really make a difference? What we pray. And I am absolutely going to slam that in just a moment, that, that thought. Folks, I, I'm, I'm telling you, God has created us to fight, and one of the places that we fight with the greatest amount of power is on our knees. But the problem is we're not praying strategically. As I talked about this a little bit last week, and I want to talk a little bit about 
it to further this concept or not. And let, let me tell you this. Please hear me. I, I, am not, I am not sharing things to make people feel guilty because I've always believed that the hammer and chisel of guilt and shame never built anything lasting for the kingdom. But I am trying to help you to think that maybe one of the reasons why we're not seeing answers to prayer, we're not seeing God do everything to our church he wants to do is because we're not strategically praying and on the same page in our prayer. Do you think that's possible? I don't think it's that God doesn't want to do things. I just think until we understand the importance that we play on this battleship, this advancement of the kingdom, then maybe we won't see God do what he wants to do. So I think perhaps the church has resigned itself that, man, the world's woes are just a part of life. Maybe God designed it that way. Maybe that's just the way it's supposed to be. But the plan of God has always been for the rebellion of the church against the status quo. You understand that? And not by our pitchforks, not by our signs, not by our screaming, but by silently taking the problems of the world to the throne of God. So when it comes to the kingdom prayer, there are two aspects of the kingdom prayer that I want us to focus on. Number one is his name, his name. Kingdom praying is prayer for the name of God to be honored in places where the name of God is not honored. You know, I encouraged you last week to give some thought to this. What do you think would happen if every single Sunday school class once a month would take a different unreached people group, or maybe they took a country like North Korea or Afghanistan or Somalia or Libya, and we just began to pray in our Sunday school classes for God to begin tearing down strongholds in these countries, and that God would begin to raise his own name up that people's lives would be radically changed. Do you not think that would make a difference in your class? I think it would. See, and I want to be so careful that when I say this, because I said this to my wife, today, she said, you can't say that. And I said, well, I have to say that. She said, well, this is the way I would try to get you to think about saying this. Okay, so I'm, I'm telling you, maybe I've toned it down just a little bit, but I, but I want you to hear me. And I'm saying this as graciously as I know how. Unfortunately, so much of the time, we as a church spend more time asking God to keep people out of heaven than we do for God to keep people out of hell. I'm getting these just incredibly intense looks. Okay, I'm going to say it. Maybe I didn't say it sweetly enough. You understand that a church can find itself spending more time to ask God to keep people out of heaven, meaning God bless Aunt Jenny. I know she's had this illness for a long time, but let her live for another year than we do for God to keep people out of hell. Now, does that mean we don't pray for the sick? Absolutely not. We're commanded to pray for the sick. I get that. But you just think about your Sunday school class. How much of the prayer time in your Sunday school class is about God tearing down strongholds in countries where the name of God is not honored? It is defied. It is denied. Or even in your own neighborhood, who are the people in your Sunday school class that you're praying for on a consistent basis, asking God to touch them? Or is it only the physically sick that got all the top billing in our Sunday school classes? I'm just trying to get you to think about strategic warfare praying. So we are praying 
for the name of God to be advanced in places where he is attempted to be stifled. Then also understand that this kingdom prayer involves the kingdom. We're asking that the kingdom of God is going to accomplish its work even in places where it is defied, where it is ignored, where it is fill in the blank. I, I think it's important that we're praying for the name of God to be honored and for the kingdom of God to be advanced. So again, this from a, from a point of view standpoint, it really is about, I want you to see intercessory prayer as you're in a courtroom and you're in an argument back and forth on what is going on in the world. And, and the weakness comes when we, we lose sight of the fact that God is in the process right now of tearing down strongholds. You do believe that, right? God's in the, in the process of tearing down everything, raising itself up against the knowledge of him. Do you pray that in our own country? This country has lots of things right now raising itself up against the knowledge of God. Who but the children of God are going to be able to pray and see God tear those things down? It's us or it won't happen. Does that make sense? That's what we were created to do. Now, I want you to turn over. I came across something a couple of months ago. I was just reading on my own, and I saw something I've never noticed before in Isaiah chapter 62. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn over to Isaiah 62, and it just hit me between the eyes. It just did. Um, Isaiah 62, just two verses, Six and seven. And I want, to t I want us to talk about this just for a few minutes because I think it's that important. So in Isaiah 62, verses six and seven, here's what is said. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. This is God speaking. I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves, and he will give them no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. You hear what he's saying? I raise up men and women who give me no rest and whom I give no rest until I am glorified in the nation of Israel. So what do you think God is, is calling us to do? And I'm going to use a word, and it's going to sound harsh, and it's going to sound, oh, gosh, I don't know about that, but give me another word. Has God, is, does God not raise up men and women to badger him? to badger him, to cry out to him day in and day out, to give him no rest until he is glorified in our nation and the nations around the world? It's our responsibility, folks. God raises up people for that purpose. Some of you don't get around nearly as well as you used to, and I am starting to understand that fully. Me neither. But doggone it, we have prayer closets we have areas in our room on our face where we pray against the strongholds of the enemy, and we are crying out to God day and night that he'll be glorified in our nation because if he doesn't, then this nation will end as we've known it. And doggone, I'm not willing to give up on that right now, folks. But the problem is some of us have been trying to fight in the wrong way. I don't, the tools of earth don't work on the spirits in the heavenly. You get that. 
The tools of earth don't work against demonic forces of wickedness. So God has created his children to cry out to him day and night. So let's move on to the Messiah in terms of kingdom mission. So there is no doubt that when Jesus came, he began his earthly mission with the kingdom of God as a central theme. I said this to you last week. You boil all of his teachings down to one sentence. It is what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What in the world would happen if we as a people of God would every day say, God, today I'm resurrendering myself to you? Total surrender. My answer to you is yes, you fill in the blank. And by the way, would you advance this kingdom? Would you hear my cry, oh God, that our church would be focused, that the churches of this country would be focused on the kingdom. Folks, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a very small percentage of churches in our country that are growing. 61% are either stale or declining and only 9% of those are stale. So we can say all day long that the church is important, and, and I believe the church is important, and I know you believe the church is important, but we're, we're fighting against a culture that is doing everything it can to raise itself up against the knowledge of God. So what does God use to tear that down? It's intercessory prayer. So Jesus understood that, that he was a central theme. Uh, I mean, he was a, yes, a central figure, I meant, uh, in this whole struggle between good and evil. But he also helped his followers to understand that they played a role in that struggle. Yes, Jesus is the key figure. I get that. But it doesn't mean that you and I don't have a role to play in this. Because when you look at the kingdom age, the kingdom age is the church age. That's where we're living today. It's also the age of mercy. It is the age of mercy. It is God giving the church one final opportunity, I believe, to be salt and light until he comes again. Um, yes. I don't know. What do you guys think? It's a great question. Uh, he asked. He said, have we, lost, do we, have we lost faith in the power of prayer? Uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of things went away a lot years ago. No, I understand that. Yes. Yes. Folks, I, I do think that there's a lot of weight on the church today. I just don't think we think about it very much because so often we gather together because we like each other. This church loves each other. I love that we love each other. But the danger of that is we get to a point where we say us four and no more, and we don't think about people outside who, if they died tomorrow, would burst the gates of hell wide open. Do we truly believe that? And are we strategically praying that God is opening the eyes of people today whose eyes have been blinded? If we're not making that a priority, then please tell me who is. So when you think about how the 
Old Testament saints felt, the book of Malachi really played a key role in the vision of many of the Old Testament prophets, as well as John the Baptist. You do understand that technically John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. You understand that? Because the church age, the Old Testament prophets, had not entered into the church age. He had not entered into the church age. So he technically is considered an Old Testament prophet, and he believed what all the Old Testament prophets believed, and that is there was one coming, a day of vengeance, and Malachi had warned the people. Remember, after, after the book of Malachi, God seems to go silent for how many years? About 400 years. So it's like he's saying, uh, hello, I, I'm, I'm going to do something. Please hear me. And John the Baptist seemed to pick up on that message. And Jesus continued that message except for one difference. And, and that's what I wanted to, to sort of to look at tonight and, and to end on here in just a moment, that the Old Testament prophets believed that the Messiah was coming to finish the fight. There's not one of us in this room that cannot wait for the day that he's going to come and finish this fight. He will. But his first coming was to say, I'm coming to start the fight. Satan's kicked you in the gut for years and years. I'm coming to start the fight. That's what the first coming was about. The second coming is about, I'm coming to finish the fight. And the Old Testament prophets really did not understand that particular concept. That's why even John the Baptist said, and, and John was related to him, he said, are you the one? Or are we supposed to wait on somebody else? Because the closer you got to Jesus, I'm sure there was a point in time where the 12 were thinking, when's it coming? When's it coming? When is he going to finish the fight? And he's saying, no, that's not why I've come. I've come to start this fight. And the closer you got to him, the more you realize, uh-oh, either one of two things. This guy's not the Messiah, or the Messiah is not what I thought he was going to be or do what I thought he was going to do. Have you ever been wrong in something you thought God was going to do and God just did something totally different? Yeah, I'm sure Cyrus is probably the only one in here that's not happened to. But for most of us, most of the, just the normal, you know, Joe blows the area. Most of us in here, have, that's the way it is. There are just things about God that we sometimes don't know. Mark was sharing a book. Um, talking about Philip Yancey. Remember a few weeks ago? I think the name of the book that you, for, you remember that morning you went, I can't remember. Was that the book Disappointment with God? Okay, which is, if you've never read Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey, I would encourage you to get the book. How many of you have ever been disappointed with God? Okay, yes, thank you. One honest man, yes. Numerous of you here have been disappointed with God. But Philip Yancey also wrote a book entitled The Jesus I Never Knew. And it's a phenomenal book on the life of Jesus. And it's also a book that I would highly recommend because his point is, you remember when we were growing up that we'd go into a little Sunday school class and there'd be a, a, a felt board up there and they'd start plastering little pink Jesuses on the board and little felt children around him. Or do you, do you, Was I the only one that ever happened to? 
You know what I'm saying? In other words, our, our feelings about Jesus growing up was a two-dimensional Jesus on a piece of felt. Well, how many dimensions does Jesus have? Well, I don't know, but would you agree it's more than two? So if it's more than two, and let's just say, let's just say for simplicity's sake, there's three dimensions of Jesus. There's still so much of him that we don't know. There's still so much of him we don't know. I heard uh, a guy the other day, and I wish I could remember his name. I just have drawn a blank. He has the highest IQ in the whole world, highest IQ, and he made this statement. He said, the smartest man or woman in the world only knows 1% of the world's knowledge at best. So you'd agree there's just a lot of things we don't know about God. But there's one thing that I wanted you to see. This absolutely just kind of blew me away. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to take your Bibles, and I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. But I also want you to hold your place at Isaiah 61. A lot of you were in Isaiah just a moment ago. But I want you to look, first of all, at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Now, I'm going to share something. I got really excited about it, and I may share this, and you go, um, I don't understand why that's any big deal. But to me, it was, it was so big. But in John chapter, I'm sorry, Luke, Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. All right, would someone in here read Luke 4, 18 and 19? Okay, go ahead. Then what does it say? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, this is pretty significant. Now you're looking at me like, mm, okay, what's the big deal about this? Oh, this is unbelievably big, but you don't notice it unless you find out. Where, what, do you remember where he was quoting? No, but what, what, what book of the Bible did he quote when he stated this? Yes, it was Isaiah. But I want you to flip over to Isaiah 61. So somebody else read Isaiah 61, uh, one, 1 and 2. Okay, Bible scholars, we'll go back to Luke and just keep flipping back and forth. And I want you to tell me the difference that you see in these two passages. Yes. So what happens? He is quoting Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. But as soon as he says to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, he shuts the book. He walked off stage. It's like he just stops in the middle of a poem. 
a Hebrew poem. He leaves out this day of vengeance. Do you not believe that he's attempting to tell them something? My first coming, ladies and gentlemen, is not about vengeance. It is about mercy. This kingdom age that I am, that you all are about to enter into is a day for you to get serious about what I'm serious about, and that is the advancement of my daddy's kingdom. Now, what really would have hacked off the Jewish leaders is that they believed that God was going to send judgment, but the thought of a Messiah extending mercy not only to the children of God, but to Gentiles? Gentiles? It would have greatly annoyed them. And I said this to you last week. They just didn't understand. They just didn't understand that God was going, that the gospel was coming to the entire world. It wasn't just for one people group. And sometimes I wonder if we get that. I really do. Do we understand? It's for all nations, all tongues. All my wife and I, a few weeks ago, my wife loves to go to the mall, and we don't go and buy a bunch of things, but she just likes to go and walk. I don't. But the other day, I went over. We went to Grapevine Mills Mall because we had our grandchildren. They, all, they love the Rainforest Cafe. In the Rainforest Cafe, I realized that I, as a white man, was in a minority in that mall. I saw very few people who were born in the same place I was, or at least maybe their parents weren't. I, I say that to you because even if we can't go to the world, you understand God's bringing the world here. And most of us spend very little time building relationships with lost people from other cultures. We just don't. So you can tell me, well, I just can't go overseas, Warren. Okay. God's bringing overseas to you. But if you're not praying about being sensitive to the leading of the Spirit and, and the people that God brings into our life every day, every day I ask God to give me a divine appointment. Well, some days I get them, some days I don't. But it doesn't stop me from praying. And I'm wondering how many days I don't get one that maybe God gave me one, I just wasn't sensitive to it. So understand that Jesus is, I believe, is announcing to us what he was focused on and what he wasn't, that this time is not a time of vengeance. It is a time to extend mercy to the world. And folks, that's what I hope our church gets. There's so many great things about our church, and I love this church. I do. But I think you'd agree with me that there are some things that we could do better. And I think one of those is our focus as a church because it's really easy it's really easy, and I'm, I'm saying this again as lovingly as I can. It's really easy for a church to move from being a true church to a country club. You do understand that. I, I, I was in a church, my very first full-time church, and I, I was a youth minister, and I worked out three days a week with the, the football team in our, in our, in our town. 
I know you're looking at me going, that must have been a long time ago. And yes, it, it was a long time ago. But, but the point is, we started seeing a lot of these Hispanic, black, Asian kids come to know Jesus. Well, our, our deacons didn't want them baptized in our baptistry where they baptized their little white girls. And folks, I'm talking about 82, 83 here in Texas. Now, praise God that church is not evident of what all churches believe, but that was my very first experience. And I couldn't work there. There are just some things in ministry I don't have to pray about. I just knew that wasn't a fit for me. And so I resigned. And I'll never forget, the last night I was there, I was back boxing up my stuff, and the chairman of the deacons was a really godly man, and he walked me out to my car, and we got to this, and he said, Warren, would you tell me, what do you think we need to do as a church? Do not ask me what you think if you don't want me to tell you. I mean, I was young, but I, I, I was even then more excited about sharing with you what I thought if you would ask me. But I, I said, I, I to be honest, is graciously as I know how, I think you should rip the word church off the side of this building. Well, you'd have thought I had thrown a cup of cold water in his face, and he said, well, should we put something in its place? I said, yeah. He said, what? And I said, the word country club. Because I said, this church is really only interested in being with people like itself, certain socioeconomic background a certain skin color. Nobody's going to come out and say that, but it's just prevalent in this church. And I said, listen to me. If this church does not repent and change, I said, God will write Echabod on the doorpost of this church, and it will die. Today, that church is running 30 for a church that used to run hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. They lost sight Just because we're around today doesn't is no guarantee of tomorrow. We've got to keep in mind those things that are most important to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and for your love for us. And God, I, again, tonight I really had desired one thing, and that is that you would speak to us.